The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Think about that for just a moment this morning. God made a way through the manger to make a way through the cross. That even there from the very beginning, it is right to understand that even in the beginning of the incarnation of Christ, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Christ was in mind, was in plan. That the coming of the Christ, God Himself becoming incarnate, was in order that the cross may come into fruition, the cross may happen where God the perfect Son, God the one who is fully God and fully man, dies on a cross for your sins and my sins. He's buried and he's raised again, triumphing over sin and death and the grave. Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 9 we've actually made it to this morning. We've been walking verse by verse through uh, this uh, uh, Gospel of Matthew, uh, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by this man, this apostle named Matthew. This morning is not necessarily a Christmas message, and yet it is because it ties in so well with the main purpose of Christ's coming. Matthew chapter 9, to catch you up this morning, refresh your memories if you've been with us, uh, we have seen that Matthew has been showing us over and over and over again that Jesus is more than just another man. That there's something unique about this man. There's something that is extraordinary about this man. He is the Son of God incarnate. We saw it in His birth. Announced by angels and a virgin conceiving. We've seen it in the prophecies even fulfilled throughout his birth and his life so far. We've seen it in his uh, temptation in the desert and how he overcame the temptation of Satan. We've seen it in his baptism, how at his baptism a voice from heaven proclaimed, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. We've seen it in his teaching, Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches as no one has ever taught before. Whereas if it were the author of the Word of God speaking forth the Word of God, because he was the author of the Word of God speaking forth the Word of God, and the people, after the Sermon on the Mount, stepped back in astonishment, saying, this man does not teach as the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks with an authority, a power, a truth that goes beyond what any other philosopher, any other great teacher can expound upon the Word of God by. We've seen it now in the last two chapters, really chapter 8, with the miracles that Jesus has performed. That the miracles that Christ performed validated and authenticated that He truly is the Christ. That He's not just a, a great teacher, another rabbi, and a long lineage of rabbis. He actually is the Son of God incarnate. And so He healed a leper, and He... <laughs> cleansed a, a, a person of fever and he, he had the, the lame and the demon possessed brought to him and they were healed and now we've seen uh, just a week or two ago, two weeks ago, he had command over all of nature. We saw last week he could command the demons and the demons even obeyed his voice that he had authority over the spiritual realm. And now this morning, we're going to see one of the greatest truths about the power of Jesus. And that is that He has power to forgive your sins. 
has power to forgive your sins. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. Follow along as I read aloud this morning. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be a your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. I want you to see three warnings revealed in this story, this miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, notice that your greatest need this morning, that your greatest need on any morning of your life, Looking back and looking to the future, your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sins. It's Christmas time. Christmas is fast approaching. My boys and my little girl, every time we go into Walmart, I've got a phone full of picture stuff that they need, right? All the things in the toy aisle. Every commercial that comes on. Am I right, boys? Oh, we need that. We need that. Oh, oh, Chris, we need Legos for Christmas morning. We all have things that we think we need. And if truth be told, Mr. Hudson James, a lot of those are wants, aren't they? We don't really need them. We want them, though, and we live in such a blessed day and age with all the stuff we're surrounded by. Uh, we have far more than we need, and so much more. We, we actually get a whole lot of what we want. You know, there are things we need. We do need air to breathe and food to eat and water to drink and, and clothes to wear and Georgia to lose a football game. And, and sometimes we get the things that we need, sometimes we don't. Often we in this culture, we get everything we need. And we get a whole lot of what we want. And what ends up happening is that we get so so consumed by the stuff of this life, by the materialism, the commercialism even of Christmas, of, of just life in general. It's not only Christmas, it's every day of the year that, that we lose sight of what the greatest need is in our life. What the greatest need is that does not speak this life, but literally to the needs of eternity, of eternal life, and that is the needs of the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is said to have come back across this into his own city, that is the city of Capernaum. This is where his home base was during his ministry. And then in verse 2 it says, They brought to him a paralytic man, a man that could not walk. He was paralyzed. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. 
your sins are forgiven you. Now, Matthew doesn't go into all the details that Mark goes into. Mark actually goes into a lot more detail, and you, you'll be familiar with the story more so when I share this next detail that Mark includes. Mark's, Mark includes Jesus' preaching and teaching and house, and the room is so crowded that they're flowing out into the, the roadway even, out the doors because of the amount of people that had come to hear Jesus and hearing the rumors even of his miracles that he had performed. And, and there were four people bringing this paralytic man that couldn't get to Jesus, and so they went up on the rooftop and they, they lowered this man down there from the rooftop top to the Lord Jesus. Mark includes all of these extra details. Matthew does not. I don't think it was because Matthew was short on ink and paper. I think Matthew does not want us to get distracted this morning by thinking we need to make much of these four men. It is commendatory. It is an example to us of, of their burden to bring this man to Christ. And there is a sermon there, but Matthew doesn't want to highlight that. Matthew doesn't want us to get distracted from the true hero of the story. He leaves out all of those details because he's focusing on who? He's focusing on Jesus. He's already shown us Jesus has power over our sickness. He's already shown us Jesus has power over nature and Jesus has power over the demons. And now he's wanting us to understand this greatest truth about Jesus, that he has power to forgive sins and for us to realize that, that the need of forgiveness in our lives is greater than even our physical needs. Can you imagine the shock from these four people that brought this man to Jesus and the crowd even that had gathered to hear the teaching of Jesus when they bring this man before Jesus and his need seems to be apparent, right? He can't walk. And Jesus doesn't first look at him and say, arise, get up and walk and go away. No, he looks at him and he says, son, be of good cheer. Be of good courage. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, in that day and age, there was just a general belief that any, any bad suffering that came upon a person like this, being paralyzed or getting sick or getting some sort of a disease, they believed was a direct result of individual sin. Now, biblically, we would say all sin leads, or rather all suffering is a result of sin universally. Like, we have pain and suffering and sickness because of Adam and Eve, because we live in a fallen world, and this world is broken and it's scarred and marred by the effects of sin. And so, generally speaking, it is right to say all of our suffering is a result of the sin of humanity at large. And all of our suffering is actually meant in general, to point us to a greater spiritual need, to a greater spiritual reality that we are sinners in need of salvation, that this world is not right, that you and I are not right in this world. We need saved. We need something better than what is. We need something better than what we are. And so suffering in general serves that purpose. I believe, given the words of Jesus to this man, that there was an individualistic sin that he had committed that led to this being paralyzed, his condition. Now, it is a bit speculative. This is my sanctified imagination at work here because there's not a lot of details that are being given to us and we have to fill in the blanks. And, and so doing so, I, I do believe with Jesus' response being your sins are forgiven you, this man's paralyzed condition was a direct result of a sin he had committed. Now again, you take this with a grain of salt because it's just my opinion. But I think it's a good opinion. I like to think that this man perhaps was sneaking out of a house maybe that he didn't belong to, that he didn't belong in. And maybe he was slipping out the window 
And as he was slipping out the window, he fell, and he broke his back, and he was paralyzed. I like to think that perhaps knew about this. They knew this man's sin. They knew the shame of this man's actions. And they knew this, this immediate judgment of God upon him because of his sin. This man is paralyzed. I like to think he was an example when all the parents walk by with their children and, and they go, little Jimmy, look at that man. You don't do what he did or you'll end up like him. Now maybe, maybe I'm over, over speculating here, but maybe not. I think this man's sin was notorious and this man was shamed by the guilt of his sin. And he's brought to Christ. And Jesus knows the guilt and shame that is upon him, even the public notoriety of it all, the public you know, spectacle of it all. And Jesus, in the midst of the, the people that have known this man for many years and his sin and his par- being paralyzed, he looks to this man and he doesn't ignore the issue of sin and say, rise up and walk because there's something that had to be dealt with first. He looks to this man first to see his greater need. And the great all that that I speculate about is true or not. Reality is he's born in sin and was in as a result generally of sin. So whether all that I just speculated about, whether it's true or not, the fact still remains the same. That his greater need, more so than physical to be able to walk, was spiritual healing in order to be made spiritually alive. Because he was dead spiritually. Because he was lost in his sin before this encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Do you realize that spiritually we can say we are all without Christ, paralyzed in our sin? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can read Ephesians 2 and verse 1 and it speaks about before Christ we were all dead in what? We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. We, we have all sinned against God. We are born into sin. We sin because we are sinners. And before God, the wages of sin is eternal death, eternal damnation. Above everything that you need this morning, whether you're battling cancer and need healing, whether you're struggling financially and need a financial blessing, whatever the need may be that you could uplift to the Lord in prayer this morning, realize first and foremost, above it all, your need for forgiveness is greater. It is more consequential. It has eternal implications, not the implications. And I can remember being 16 years of age, and I've shared this story before with you. It may be on a Wednesday night. It might have been a Sunday morning. I don't remember, but I'm going to share it again. Just my testimony of God calling me into the ministry. You know, I didn't grow up. I grew up in a Christian home, thank the Lord. But I didn't grow up in a home surrounded by preachers and pastors or missionaries. And going into the ministry to, to surrender to the Lord, the full-time uh, ministry, was not something that was just commonplace, that, that I just walked into following the pattern uh, that, of many in my family that had been said before. It was something a little abnormal, even though it was highly encouraged, thank, thank the Lord, by my parents. I, as a 16-year-old, I wanted to be a surgeon. 
I grew up here in Keystone. We got the University of Florida right here, right down the road, and one of the greatest medical schools in the country, one of the greatest football schools at one time, too, one time. And as a 16-year-old, I even got to go shadow a group of surgeons over at, at Shands Hospital. And it was just so awesome being in that room. I got to put the scrubs on, uh, the whole garb, and be right there as they cut this person open and remove the mass there on this person's rib cage. It's, it's amazing the medical technology and the wisdom that God has given that we can accomplish. And I was mesmerized by that, but undoubtedly the monetary gain played a role too to think I can make a lot of money and I can help a lot of people as a believer in American Christianity. That sounds like a win-win, does it not? And the Lord impressed upon me the truth that is being revealed in this text. I was reading a missionary biography on Nate Saint, a missionary to Ecuador, aviation missionary who gave his life. He and um, four others, literally, uh, lives were taken as they're trying to reach this unreached people group, uh, unreached by civil, uh, civil society uh, uh, at all. They were trying to reach them with the gospel, to share the love of Christ with them, and their, their lives were taken. And I thought about the sacrifice being made, and, and even one of their quotes, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And the Lord impressed upon my heart, what if, Brandon, what if you became a great surgeon? What if you saved thousands of lives because of the surgeries that you were able to do? You would only save them to die. Death would still come. All you have done is prolong the inevitable because their greatest need is not the removal of that cancerous mass because that only leads to a little bit more of a suffering life on earth to die to eternal damnation. need and the greatest work that one can be about is working to accomplish the forgiveness of sins. But that is what Christ is speaking of here, that this man, though by all human appearances, his greatest need was to be able to walk, Jesus saw to the heart of the issue, and the greater need was a spiritual life. The greater need was the sins in his life that he needed to have forgiven before a holy and a righteous God. And what is true of him is true of you. Your greatest need this morning is that you will stand before a holy, perfect, righteous God someday. And He's a God that you cannot deceive. He's a God that knows every thought, that's heard every word, that's seen every action. And you may deceive mama and daddy, you even church family as a member of the church, and you're lost and unregenerate. You may deceive the preacher and your boss and whoever you want to put in that category of leadership over you, but someday God will judge. Your greatest need is that you will be justified in that moment. Your greatest need is that God will look at you not with the wrath that you deserve, with the condemnation that you deserve, but He will look at you with grace and He will look at you with mercy and He will have you in a condition of of forgiveness, of, of having been forgiven, your iniquities blotted out, your sins separated as far as the east is from the west. Jesus first points to this greater spiritual need. Your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sins this morning. But notice, secondly, Jesus also reveals that He came in order that you might be forgiven of your sins. He he came in order to make possible that God could be both the just and the justifier of those who turn to Him in faith, Romans chapter 3. 
that God who is holy, that God who is just, could forgive you who, who, who aren't holy, who aren't just, you who are sinful and who are worthy of death and eternal damnation. Jesus came in order to accomplish a means by which you may be forgiven of your sins. Verse 3, we read that at once some of the scribes and the Pharisees said amongst themselves, within themselves even, this man blasphemes. Who is this man that thinks he has the authority to forgive sins? And then Jesus plays a little game with them on what's harder to do. Is it harder to just say your sins be forgiven? Or is it harder to say, rise up and walk? And of course, to say your sins are forgiven, many within certain realms of the church throughout church history have have sold indulgences and announced your sins be forgiven. That's unverifiable until you stand before the Lord. But it's pretty verifiable if I had a person that couldn't walk in here and I were to say, rise up and walk. Is he going to rise up and walk or not? And so Jesus is playing a game of what's harder to do. And he's making it clear it's harder to say rise up and walk and actually bring a fulfillment of that right here. But but the reality is it's even harder than that to truly accomplish the forgiveness of sins. Don't miss that here. Jesus isn't saying that the forgiveness of sins is no big deal. He's saying no to say it's no big deal, but to actually accomplish it, to actually accomplish a way that sinful men men can be uh, reconciled to holy God, that's greater than performing some miracle when people can get up and walk. That takes more than just words being spoken. It's going to take His body being crucified upon a cross, His life being given a ransom for sinners. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, I can say it and you don't know it's true, but if I say this, you'll see it and you'll know it's true and that'll verify the truthfulness of this. And so He said to this man, rise up and walk, and this man got up. And he folded up his bed, and he walked out to the amazement of all who saw it. And Jesus said, what? I have done this in order that you may know that what I've said about the forgiveness of sins is true. You can see this, and it's verifiable here. I am telling you that God has given to me, and to me only, the power, the authority to look at a person and say, your sins are forgiven. And to look at you and say, your sins are forgiven. priest doesn't have that authority. The Pope doesn't have such authority. But Christ, the Son of God incarnate who would give His life a ransom for sinners, He, He and He alone has that authority. Realize that Jesus did not come this first time in order to simply heal all of us of our earthly diseases and sufferings. Right? If that's the reason for His first coming, He, he didn't do a very good job I don't know about you, but I know a lot of believers whose lives are filled with disease and suffering and cancer and sickness. One of my fathers in the faith, you know, Brother Bob Moore, just went to be with the Lord this past week. He didn't come this first time to give us earthly healing. The, the little glimpses of the earthly healing that he, he did were, were merely to verify the eternal glory that is to come and the truthfulness of what He really came to accomplish in the first coming, which is the forgiveness of sins. That He would give His life a ransom for sinners. That if you look even all the way back to Matthew chapter 1 and the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is born and an angel has announced that His name is to be called Jesus. Why? 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 
Savior. Yeshua, God saves. Why? Why is He to be called Jesus? Because He will what? Save His people from their sins. He will save His people from their sins. Isaiah 53 prophesied it so well. Verses 5 and 6 in particular. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to His own way. But what? The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Made away in a manger to make a way to the cross. That Jesus be born to die. He, he was born in order to validate who He was before us, in order to live the life that you and I had never lived, that you and I will never measure up to. He was faithful and obedient to God the Father in all things. He was the most human human who ever walked the face of planet Earth. He was what Adam should have been. And what happened because of that? He was rejected and despised. He was crucified. He he was placed upon a cross. And God poured out upon him the wrath that was due to you and to me. The vicarious suffering of the Christ. That he died in your place. He died in my place because of your sin. Because of my sin, he shed his blood in order that we might be forgiven. In order that we might be justified on that day of judgment. Your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus came in order that you might be forgiven of your sins. And so thirdly, lastly, don't miss this one. You must come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You must come to Him, to Christ. And to Christ alone, not to religion, not to turning over a new leaf in your life, not to church. I hope that church in a right religion is pointing you to this truth as I am this morning. That we gather here merely to point to that this even has been given to us to point us to Christ. The Pharisees searched in it, Jesus said, because they thought in it was eternal life. And Jesus says, no, it's the scriptures that bear testimony of me. You must come to Christ, not to a greater knowledge of theology and doctrine, a greater memorization of the Word of God. All of those are good and fitting and right if they're done in the right way that they point you to Jesus. But it's to Christ you must go. There's three different responses recording here to this working of Jesus. One, in verse 3, the scribes, they scoffed. They said, this man's blaspheming. Only God has the power to forgive sins. This man is just a, a, a teacher. This man is, we're not sure who he is or, or what he is, but he's not God. And they scoffed and they said he was a blasphemer. Now, there may be some of you that leave this morning scoffing. That guy really thinks that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to heaven. Doesn't he know that all roads lead to heaven? Doesn't he know that God has worked through Muhammad and God has worked through Allah and God has worked through all the different, um, the, all the different religions of the world to, to ultimately get people in their own contextual places to, to himself? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in 
no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But the name of Jesus. John 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, it says, For Christ, for Christ, not, not any other false deity, not any other pagan god, not any other pagan prophet, for Christ, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He scribes scoff to verse 8, and the crowds marveled. They were amazed at the little spectacle, the show of, of Jesus announcing the forgiveness of sins, and then this man that couldn't walk, getting up and walking. They were amazed, and yet they did not repent and believe, as we see even that the crucifixion, crucify him, crucify him, released to us, Barabbas, and crucify the Christ. The crowds marveled. There was a curiosity about Jesus. It was interesting. And some of you may even leave here marveling at this morning about Jesus and about Christmas. You think it's a neat story of, of love and grace and, and, and sacrifice, and yet it does not move upon your heart to draw you to Christ in repentance and belief. You marvel at it. You celebrate it. But you don't know the true power of Christ and His forgiveness of sins. But there was one man, verse 2, who couldn't even come to Jesus on his own shows the complete inability. <laughs> he couldn't even come to Christ on his own. Others had to bring him. And he was let down there before Christ from that rooftop, according to the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus looks, and it's, it, the, the Scriptures say, He looked and He saw their faith. And there's some debate over who they are. Was it the four men and only the four men, or did it include this man? And I think most definitely it included this man because God never forgives sins based on the faith of another person. Right? The, the Catholic denomination will take this verse and they'll imply that by your faith, even though somebody's died lost, you can get them saved. Even though somebody's died um, against God by your faith and your sacrifice and your obedience, no, 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 you make the choice for you. You stand responsible for you. I believe um, plainly and clearly, according to the context of all the rest of the Scripture, when Jesus says He saw their faith, it includes this man who is laying down on his bed unable to walk because he's likely the one who said, listen, y'all got to get me to Jesus. I know He can heal. I know that He's, he's taken people that are outcasts, people that are in their guilt and the shame of their sin, and unlike the scribes and the Pharisees who, who don't care a thing about you, who mock you and belittle you, and who make you an outcast, I've heard He's the one who comes to such people. And He's the one who's healed such people. You've got to give me to Jesus. And He was there before Christ, and He could not even bring Himself he was there in all the guilt and shame of his sin. He was there unable to save himself. And he, he knew it. And he simply humbly cast himself at Jesus' feet. Because he had no other option. He couldn't stand before Christ. He was there on the ground before Him. What a picture of how we must come to Christ. You don't come 
dancing and marching in and the pride and arrogance of our spirituality and our worthiness to be in His presence. No, when you understand the truth of the need of your forgiveness of sins, you come as one paralyzed before Him and you cast yourself before the cross of Christ and you just confess, God, I'm an unworthy sinner. I am worthy of eternal damnation, eternal condemnation, but I come to you and I ask of your grace and mercy, will you save me? Lord, will you forgive me of my sins? Christ, even upon the cross, the heart of Christ is revealed when He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you turn in broken contrition, a broken heart of humility before God, not coming as if God owes you something, as if God's got to give you forgiveness because you've done X, Y, and Z, but you come realizing, I can't bring anything before you. It's only of your grace and mercy that I need it. God never turns you away. He forgives. And He actually delights in the forgiveness. We'll get to it, maybe not next week, but in the weeks that lie ahead when we get to this next passage, that I delight in mercy and not sacrifice. That God delights in showing off His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy upon those that don't deserve it, but those who come to realize they don't deserve it. Because those are the ones that truly repent. Those are the ones that truly believe upon Christ. It's been a number of years ago, I had a lady in, in my office over there wanting, I think it was some sort of benevolence from the church, but asking her, you know, about her salvation, and she was saved, and she was assured that she was, and, and I, of course, always want to go a little bit deeper, and how, how do you know that? And her response was, well, I was in an accident about eight years ago, and it was a life-threatening situation, and I was pinned in my car, and, and I, I finally just called out to God, and I said, God, if you, you saved me from this car wreck, if I live through this, um, I know you're real, and I'm, 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 I'm yours. And that was her salvation testimony. She lived, and she says, I'm here. And so I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved. I'm His. And, and I have to question that. And I had to question it based upon what the Word of God teaches. Because there's a big difference between calling out to God to save you from some earthly threat, from some earthly fear, and calling out to God for the forgiveness of your sins. She really didn't like to consider herself a sinner. She, she really liked to think she was doing okay, even though her life was filled with all sorts of sin, and she was out of church. But she had an experience of God delivering her from an earthly situation where she said, I'm good, and now I can go live as I want, is how she was basically living. And just thinking about that situation, I wonder how many even in this room had called out to God for earthly things called out to God and you said, God, I need you to guide my life. God, I need you to help me. Do I take this job promotion or not? God, I need you to protect my family. God, I need you for this and I need you for that. And you've, you've cried out to him for all of these earthly physical needs, 
but you've never really been saved because you've never turned to God in the understanding, I am a sinner unworthy, and, and the greatest need of my life is not guidance, it's not blessing in an earthly sense. The greatest need of my life is the forgiveness of my sins, and I know Jesus died upon a cross to accomplish that. And I need to repent and turn and and believe upon Him and say, God, will you forgive me of my sins? God, will you save me? You have never done that. Behold, today is a day. Now is the, the day of salvation. Now is an opportunity. You can turn now in this invitation we're about to go into and and find that as you, in humble contrition, turn to God and and seek His forgiveness, God grants it. God lavishly bestows it upon you. We read the testimony of David. And we'll close in prayer and go through a time of invitation. David, a man who sinned greatly, tried covering that sin and finally confessed it. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to this testimony. He says, When I kept silent, My bones grew old through my groanings all the day long. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. And then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. He says, God, I finally confessed it. I finally just came in a broken, humble contrition and said, God, I have sinned. God, I am a sinner. And he says, in my iniquity, I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. What happened? God said, get away from me, you filthy, rotten sinner. God said, go to hell because that's what you deserve. say, David said, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David didn't realize it then, but the means by which God forgave his sin was poured out there at Calvary, where God poured the judgment that was due upon David, upon Christ, and Christ drank the cup of the wrath of God for him, as he has drank it for all who turn to him and faith. You're here and you have not been forgiven of your begging. Come to Christ and find He and He alone has the power to forgive. Heavenly Father, may You work in this moment to draw people to Christ. Lord, I know there's some who've come in this room who they, they're like the crowd. They've marveled at You. They know some amazing truth about You, but they, they've never fully understood the love You've poured out for them through Christ dying upon a cross for their sins, being buried and raised again. And they've never had that moment in their life where they have come to You in a broken contrition and humbleness and just, just fallen before You and cried out, Lord, will You save me? Forgive me of my sins. Lord, if there's any in here who's never done that, I pray even now as I'm praying, they would do so. 
they would turn and find that you are the God who saves, that you and you alone have the power to forgive. Lord, that you're a God who delights in mercy, a God who delights in showing that grace. Lord, save the lost, I pray, for all of us who have experienced your forgiveness. May we leave here renewed in it, renewed in a gratitude, renewed in a grace that's changed us to live by that grace, to show that grace, to share that grace. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.